Welcome to our podcast series, Five Questions, Five Answers, in which we explore recent U.S. trade policies and U.S. trade rules that can affect thousands of companies. We have a goal in mind to help you, the listener, translate the legal into real-world business strategies. My name is Bridget Matisson. I'm the Director of North American Manufacturing here at Aaron Fox Schiff in Washington, D.C. I get the easy part. I get to ask the questions and I get to choose the colleague or the guest I know will have the right answers for you. So in the next few minutes, I will ask five questions that reflect the concerns we've been hearing from business leaders, all who want to understand the rules, but they also need to mitigate their business risk while increasing their bottom line. So let's start. There's been a law on the books for almost a century to make sure taxpayers' dollars support American jobs and businesses. Every administration, Democrat and Republican, says they'll do it, but we're actually, we're actually doing it. We'll buy America to make sure every, everything from the deck of an aircraft carrier to the steel on highway guardrails is made in America from beginning to end. All of it. All of it. In January 2021, during his first days in office, President Biden signed a sweeping executive order. It was entitled, Ensuring the Future is Made in All of America by All of America's Workers. It's this EO that is the subject of today's podcast. The title itself makes it pretty obvious to the administration's intent about the EO. It was pretty clear that the new administration would not only continue a number of very long-standing Buy America, Buy American policies, but would, in fact, expand them. Well, much has happened since and in quick order. In April of that same year, the administration created a brand new regulatory office. What was it called? Made in America office, and it was situated within the powerful Office of Management and Budget. In July, the administration moved forward to release a notice of proposed rulemaking to implement that executive order and directing the agencies to look at increasing U.S. content in the products the federal government buys. By the end of that year, the White House announced plans about money and how to use federal dollars to meet one very important target of theirs and a priority of theirs, clean energy targets. The year for those targets is 2035, approaching quickly. And the White House directed the agencies to implement the measures consistent with the White House policies to spur growth in domestic industry, including the clean energy industry. Congress, for its part, also played a role. It moved pretty quickly to pass a sweeping Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Usually, most people hear about it being called the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, which the president signed soon after in November 2021. That law injects $108 billion for public transportation projects. It'll be targeted to replace highway, aging highways, aging subways, light rail, commuter rail cars, and replace over 10,000 fossil fuel powered transit vehicles with yes, cleaner energy and low emission transit vehicles. But that law also makes significant changes to both the Buy America and the Buy American Act. So in March of this year, the FAR Council issued final rules, and that implemented several of the changes with respect to the Buy American Act. One month later, in April, 
OMB released its guidance regarding the implementation of BioAmerica requirements of the bipartisan infrastructure law. Are you following me so far? And so now, where are we? We have U.S. agencies that will begin the very complicated process of allocating all these monies to these projects while making sure that the White House domestic preference intent and those intents by Congress are very strictly enforced. It is this reason and it is this time that I have asked my colleague, Travis Mullaney, to join me today just to walk us through what happens next. Travis is our go-to attorney on these issues, given his deep understanding of federal procurement regulations and contractual obligations in a supply chain. So, Travis, thank you and welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me, Bridget. I'm glad to be here and excited to share my knowledge of the federal domestic preference regime. On behalf of all of our listeners, thank you, because it's getting complicated by the week, it seems. Something tells me that we'll need more of these podcasts for you to come on board and explain the environment that we are facing. But let me start by asking, did I miss anything in my intro? And should we be focusing on anything particular in the years ahead? Well, I think you did pretty much cover it. There's obviously been a lot that's happened over the past year. But just to kind of table set a little bit, one thing I just want to make clear for your listeners who are maybe unaware or haven't focused on it is sort of the distinction between the Buy America Act and the Buy American Act. You know, similarly titled, very frequently confused, but, you know, one has an N on the <laughs> at the end as versus the other. So before we dive in, let's just talk about kind of the differences between those for a second. First, the Buy America Act, no N, generally refers to a bunch of statutes and regulations that apply strings to federal financial assistance. You know, we're talking about grants, things that go to states, money that they have that they then use to build infrastructure projects. And so this goes to essentially state and local entities, usually for infrastructure-related projects, just highways, public transit, airports, aviation, rail projects, things like that. The Buy America requirements, they're actually separately administered by various agencies within the Department of Transportation. We're talking about things like the Federal Highway Administration, the Aviation Administration, Federal Transit Administration, things like that. And each agency has its own regulations. I think FTA's regulations are probably the most robust of all of them. The Buy America regulations just generally require that iron, steel, and manufactured products, and also construction materials that are used in the project are produced in the United States. Some kind of key language there, which we can kind of break down maybe a little bit later. But funding recipients, that's the state and local entities, they're responsible for imposing these requirements and ensuring that their contractors with whom they work adhere to their requirements. So that's Buy America. Separately, the Buy American Act, with an N at the end, requires federal agencies to purchase domestic end products. And that's for any contract that exceeds what they call the micro-purchase threshold, which is just about $10,000. So for any government purchase from a federal agency over $10,000, generally the product has to be manufactured in the U.S. and it has to be either what they call a commercially available off-the-shelf item, a COTS item, or it has to have the cost of components mine produced or manufactured in the U.S. exceed 55% of the total cost of all the components. So there's what we call a domestic content threshold there. So again, manufactured in the U.S., and then it has to have either be a COTS product or have the cost of domestic materials be 55% or more of the cost of all of its components. This essentially had two separate statutory frameworks that kind of guide domestic preference, either for infrastructure spending with respect to the Buy America Act, or we have just general purchases under the Buy American Act. So that's just to kind of set the stage for us. Yeah, thank you, Travis. So 
Of all the activity that happened last year from the White House and the Hill, the changes that we described at the top of the podcast were changes to the Buy American with an N Act. Is that right? And my understanding is that it did a lot of things, but they also increased the domestic content thresholds. They enhanced the price preferences. Have I got that right? And what else? Yeah. So actually, changes were made to both statutory frameworks, both by America and also by American. And you actually see both of these that appear in the bipartisan infrastructure law. So there are changes coming down both fronts, and it's important to keep both in mind. But first, yes, you know, you mentioned domestic content thresholds. We talked about it with the Buy American Act. Those are changing and they'll be increased which currently, as I said, was 55%. It's going to go up to 60% in October of this year. So you have to have more than 60% of the cost of your components be components that are mined, produced, or manufactured in the U.S. Then starting in 2024, January of 2024, it's going to go up to 65%. And that will hold through 2028. And then in 2029, it's going to go up to 75%. Now, this is starting to be kind of a high number. So the final rule that came out just recently in March actually includes a fallback threshold of 55 that says that if no offerers are able to meet that sort of heightened standard, you know, up to potentially 75% by 2029, then the agency can use this alternative standard of 55% and still apply the Buy American requirements. I got to say, though, a lot of people have focused in on these domestic content thresholds, but for me, it's just a bit of a sideshow because they so frequently are inapplicable. There's so many exceptions to the Buy American Act, which we're going to touch on later, I believe, that in most cases, the domestic content thresholds don't play a large role. And so it gets a lot of play in the press, but probably not the most important thing for people to be focused on. You also mentioned price preferences, though. So the new laws also imposed a framework for higher price preferences to be applied to end products and construction materials that are deemed critical or made up of critical components. Unfortunately, they have not yet defined what that means. Subsequent rulemaking is going to come out that will actually establish the definitive list of what constitutes critical items and critical components and what price preferences will apply. So unfortunately, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet, but more will come down the pike on that. Additionally, and perhaps most significantly, the bipartisan infrastructure also directed the FAR Council to amend part of the Federal Acquisition Regulation, Part 25, to provide a definition for in-product manufacture in the United States. And this is really important because there had not to date been either a statutory or regulatory definition of what constitutes an in-product manufacture in the U.S. And so the rules with regard to that have been sort of applied by courts and adjudicative bodies. And they basically found that to be manufactured in the U.S., it's a little more than assembly. But other regulations in other contexts apply a more stringent standard. And if they were to adopt those more stringent standards into the Buy American definition, it could have a significant impact. So that's something we're following along closely. Again, nothing has been done on that yet. We expect a further rulemaking to actually address that requirement. But it's something that was directed by the infrastructure law. So we're tracking it. So that's all with respect to the Buy American Act. And there were also some changes made with respect to Buy America as well. Well, that actually was my next question, Travis. So what about Buy America? What are the changes that have been made and what can we expect? Well, great. So yeah, with with respect to the Buy America Act, under the bipartisan law, Congress directed federal agencies to expand the coverage of the Buy America requirements to include federal financial assistance. Again, we're talking about grants, awards, things like that, that support infrastructure products that had previously been excluded. They've expanded it to include things, you know, whereas traditionally the Buy America requirements 
have gone to traditional transportation and infrastructure projects. Now they're expanding it to include generic things. Like if funds are used under the infrastructure law that go to real property and buildings and things that may not be traditional, like bridges and tunnels and things like that that you might consider, things like maybe a construction of affordable housing projects might even be at play here. And it kind of remains to be seen how the rules will come out in terms of exactly what that's going to look like. Additionally, the bipartisan infrastructure law seeks to expand the meaning of construction materials. So what this means is that previously the Buy America requirements have been applied to construction materials made primarily of iron and steel. But now they're saying non-ferrous metals, plastic, polymers, glass, lumber, drywall, things like that will also be included under the construction materials ambit. So these things will now also be subject to Buy America requirements. The good news is that the guidance that came out from the Office of Management Budget recently has clarified that you can only fall into one category. You're either primarily iron and steel material, a manufactured material, or a construction material. So you don't have to worry about manufactured materials when you're talking about construction materials. And that's really important because some of the agencies had taken a different approach there. So by clarifying that, it removes some concern for a certain category of these construction materials. Lastly, the bipartisan infrastructure law clarified how manufactured products should be understood by defining a manufactured product produced in the United States to mean one that's manufactured in the U.S. and whose cost of components that are mined, produced, or manufactured is greater than 55% of the total cost of the components of the manufactured product. That looks very similar to the requirements for the Buy American that we talked about earlier. So they're taking the requirements for the Buy American with an N Act and now moving it to the Buy America requirements under this infrastructure law. So they're trying to marry them up a little bit, make them a little more consistent. However, there's this qualification that unless another standard for determining the minimal amount of domestic content has already been established under applicable law regulation. So the FTA already has, in some cases, stricter requirements. So it's not exactly clear how those will play off of each other. It seems like maybe the more stringent FTA standards are going to continue to apply in those limited cases. So that's all with respect to the Buy America Act. And like I said, we're going to keep continuing to follow it closely. Thanks. That was very interesting, by the way. My next question is all about exceptions and the fine print. So most people today will agree that global supply chains are in fact still very global. And so my question to you on this particular topic is whether the legislation and whether the rules to implement the new law, do they contemplate either some exceptions to the Buy American and or the Buy America rules? And if so, under what conditions? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I kind of forecast this a bit earlier, but there are numerous exceptions. You know, specifically to your point, there's an exception for lack of reasonable availability in the U.S. So if you can't find something, if it's not reasonably available in the U.S., that can constitute an exception. The way this is applied, it can either be applied sort of on a class basis or on an individual basis for a particular procurement. There's actually a list of items. It's actually at uh, FAR 25.104 that the U.S. has determined are just simply not available. And this is kind of random things like nickel, tungsten, quartz crystals, microprocessor chips in certain specific cases when used for construction. But in general, there's just a lot of sort of things that the government has already determined are just simply not available. So you can always sort of count those as not being subject to the requirements. Uh, additionally, a contracting officer can request a waiver 
on a procurement by procurement basis for you know individual products to determine them to be not available. Now, this is one of the things that both Biden and also the, the infrastructure law has sort of focused in on. They want to make these waiver requests much more transparent. So they actually set up a new website, Made in America website, where waiver requests will be posted. It's going to try to be more transparent so everyone knows kind of what exceptions are being applied to various procurements. Additionally, when you're talking about the Buy American Act, for any procurement over $183,000, the Trade Agreements Act comes into play. And that basically says that if the product is manufactured in a country where the U.S. has a trade agreement, you know, there's, I think, 120 plus designated countries that the U.S. has entered into such an agreement with, then you're allowed to provide those products if it's substantially transformed in one of these designated countries. So, you know, this is a massive, massive loophole. The reason that it's $183,000 is that was a dollar value that was set by the World Trade Organization government procurement agreement. And many procurements exceed $183,000. And so automatically, you're, you're kind of out of playing in, in the Buy America space. You don't have to worry about the domestic content thresholds anymore. Further, the Buy American Act, even where it applies... It basically applies as a price preference. And what that means is that due to what they call the unreasonable cost exception, if something would cost, you know, it's like between 20 and 50 percent more than a non-domestic product, then the government can essentially still buy it. And, and so the way this works is that the contractor actually adds to the price that's proposed by an offer. If, if it's a large business concern, it's 20 percent. You know, if it's a small business concern, they add 30 percent. Or if it's a DOD procurement, they add 50 percent. And they just add that to the price when they sort of are doing their Evaluation. And they say, okay, if I were to add this amount, how does that play in? How does that change You know, how we would evaluate the product? So it's just applied really as a price preference. And the same unreasonable cost exception essentially applies under the Buy America rules as well. Again, you know, the Buy America rules are applied by each individual agency. There's a number of different agencies. But in general, if the cost would increase the project by more than 25%, then they're going to allow a sort of a waiver or an exception there. But still, $108 billion is a heck of a lot of money for transit projects. So if a company after this podcast, which I hope will be the case, needs to have some more information and they call you to tell you that they want to sell equipment or materials to any of these projects, Travis, what would be the first questions that you might have for them? So, you know, for companies that are maybe not traditional government contractors and, you know, they, they may not know all this stuff that well, but they're looking into breaking the world. They've heard there's a lot of government money out. I would just say first, you know, are you prepared for the responsibilities that come with being sort of a government contractor? There's a ton of money out there and there's a lot of opportunity, but you just need to know what you're signing up for. Review your policies and procedures. Make sure you get your ducks in a row before signing on the dotted line. And that's something we help many companies with is sort of getting sort of into compliance and, and being ready to be a government contractor. Also, you know, many of my clients come to us and they've maybe received a, a query from a customer. They want to buy their product, but they want the company to represent that their product either complies with the Buy America, Buy American, or the Trade Agreements Act. And there's a lot that goes into that analysis. So, you know, one thing we do is we frequently help clients go through and get something on paper to defend their analysis for why or why not their product should qualify under the Buy America, Buy American or Trade Agreements Act. And in doing so, we sort of protect them from potential liability later on should they run into any issues. And in sort of doing that analysis, you know, I would say the things that the clients need to come prepared to answer are things like, you know, what agency is buying the products? How much does the product cost? Where is the product manufactured? Where are the components manufactured? And how much are the components cost in proportion to the final product? You know, this is usually included in something like a bill of materials. So that's the type of questions that we would ask in, in performing that analysis. So that's kind of the things that we would generally ask. So 
we are well into the first half of 2022, moving into the second half. What can we expect in the second half, Travis, and probably even in 2023 on this front? Sure. So President Biden has made buying domestic products a core plank of his platform. And that's, you know, consistent with the position that presidents have taken, you know, on a long line on a bipartisan basis. This issue is not going away, right? If anything, the kind of lessons that we've learned from the COVID-19 pandemic, the war in Ukraine, simmering tensions between China, they've sort of all made domestic manufacturing and production all the more important. You know, it kind of seems like the world's sort of retrenching a little bit from globalization and the U.S. wants to buy domestic products and to support U.S. manufacturing wherever possible. I would expect more of the same. Yeah, I completely agree on many fronts, but particularly on the Buy America, Buy American for all the obvious reasons. You made some very interesting points, and I bet you a lot of our listeners who have tapped in today have learned something new. And something also tells me that we will continue to learn something new as we move into 2023. So, Travis, I think we might invite you back. I hope you'll say yes. But in the interim, how can folks get in touch with you? Sure. And yeah, I would absolutely love to come back. Thank you for having me again today. Folks can reach me, you know, by email. I my email is Travis.Malaney at AFSlaw.com or they can just call my direct line at 202-828-3477. It's all posted on the website as well. I'm only allowed to ask you five questions, but I have like 50 questions to ask you, Travis. But I will end this podcast here. Thank you, Travis. And thank you to all our listeners who have taken the time to be with us today. We know that your time is valuable, but we do hope that these podcasts help you decide on how best to take advantage of these rules to compete in the U.S. marketplace. We are here to help. I think Travis made that perfectly clear. Smart in your world. For us at Aaron Fox Schiff, it's not simply a tagline.